Hey, you're listening to City Lift Church's podcast. We hope today's message fuels you with courage for your journey. Here's today's message. Uh, we'll go back to the text. I just want to give you a little backstory of me. I grew up in a Christian home in a small town of 1,600 people. My sister and I were the only homeschooled kids in town. My mom is actually here. She's back there. She didn't homeschool us because she was one of those w- weird moms that made us, uh, you know, that, that didn't let my sister wear makeup and ma- made her wear a jean skirt. She homeschooled us because the school education just wasn't that great, so she wanted us to learn how to read and, 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 and learn well. Um, what that did is m- I think my family always kind of had this perspective that in our town, I remember people calling my mom and dad Barbie and Ken because we were like the perfect little family, right? Um, my dad did pretty well with his job. She was a stay-at-home mom. And we just kind of had some influence in our community, I would say, just because, you know, we are the good Christian couple. Our town was 70% Mormon, so it was just like a really family community. And by the age of uh, 13, I was probably pretty quiet all the way up until the age of 13. I remember getting... Um, invited to a birthday party at 13 years old. It was my first co-ed birthday party. And I think all the, you know, when you're that age, it's like the biggest thing in the world to get invited to a birthday party where it's like all the girls, all the guys, finally, you know, you, you don't want to talk to each other that much, but you still are in the same environment. And I remember at the end of that birthday party, uh, I found out that all the girls were going home and I was getting ready to go home too. And I was the only kid out of all the guys that were not, were not invited for the sleepover. And I remember at that moment, I had this thought in my head that I was the sympathy invite, right? I was the guy who was probably obligatorily invited because I was this nice, gentle, kind kid. Guarantee you that this kid's mom was like, you better invite Philip because he lives right down the street. And I had this epiphany at 13 years old that that was probably the truth. And these were the kids that I wanted to spend time with. These are the kids that I wanted to hang out with. But I realized that what I saw one-on-one was different than what I saw in a group setting. And now I'm kind of on the outside. And because I was quiet, I kind of never really gelled with, like, a group of people that well. And from that point on, I I think my friend group started changing from that point. And I started kind of navigating towards a different group of kids. I started skateboarding, um, you know, listened to punk rock music, dyed my hair, you know, the real angsty teenage stage where I needed to communicate to all of you that, uh, that I'm original. And so the only way that you can be original when you're a teenager is to look like all the other original people that are also angsty and emotional at that stage, right? Isn't that funny? We want to make a statement, then you just, we were in, where were we? We were in Belgium one time, and it's just funny. You can go anywhere in the world, and, like, the hippies that are selling, like, trinkets on the street, they look the same everywhere. I was like, they're so counterculture, but they all have dreadlocks. (laughs) They all look the same. It's so funny how we do that. And so, you know, it gets to the point where by the age of, and I can go through a lot of the history here, but by the age of, 19, 20 years old, I was a, a, a drug addict. I got all the way to the point where I was uh, addicted to meth, ended up going to two rehabs, almost died, and uh, my life went into this really dark place in my life. Um, how I got there, I mean, it was a few different steps, and I, I'm not going to blame it on a birthday party that I didn't get invited for the sleepover, but, but there was this, this moment of being excluded There was this moment of feeling like I was an outsider. There was this moment of feeling like um, I was misunderstood or I was unseen. And when I started hanging out with another group of kids who maybe came from broken homes, maybe maybe parents that, you know, had struggled with addiction or alcoholism. I remember I had one friend. His mom would sell us weed. I had another friend. Um, His dad would be our bartender, right, as my teenage years grew. And these are the kind of kids I started hanging out with because at least you were allowed to be a little bit broken, 
at least you were allowed to be a little bit jacked up. They came from pretty rough areas. And that's something I always loved about like communities where people come from like some kind of rough backgrounds. It's not perfect, it's not polished, hey, but we're here. We're real. We're human. And I remember even during the time I told my pastor this, Pastor Whit George from Church on the Move, I remember telling him, um, you know, even in the drug community, there was a little bit of freedom. And don't get me wrong, it's not free doing drugs. But even in the drug community, there was a little bit of freedom to be broken. You could sit in a room of people that were all addicts and nobody's looking at you like you had to love, live up to some standard. Like, like, hey, look at you, man. What? No, we're all jacked up. And I think that's a counterfeit of the church. I think it's a counterfeit of of the freedom of what we're supposed to offer in the church. Somehow we get into these perspectives in our life where we feel like we have to have it all figured out and the people around us to where we can project. Especially if you're a Christian. Like once you're saved, you better get your crap together or no one's going to really want you. But I believe, I believe that there is a freedom in really being able to be fully you in front of the Lord. And be fully broken in front of the Lord. And be fully open in front of, the, in front of the Lord. And not have to have this identity thing that we keep projected in front of each other. So I'm going to go ahead and continue on. And the title of this message, I call it Perspective Over Position. Perspective Over Position. So if we could pick up the scripture in Exodus 16, verse 2, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would it have been better if we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? We sat by pots of meat and bread for fu- and, and were full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill us in this whole assembly of hunger. What happened? What happened? They're, they're singing this song. They're praising God. They're saying, God, look what you brought us out of. We were slaves for 400 years, and you brought us to this place. You did miracles. You threw the rider and the horse into the sea. And then, here's the crazy thing. The time frame is six weeks later. Six weeks later, they're saying, why did you bring us out here? It would have been better to die in Egypt. Let me just tell you this, City Lift Church. God did not call you to something without equipping you to go through something. And so many times in our lives, we have this addiction to the destination of where we think God has called us to be. So many times in our lives, we have this addiction to this, to this end place, to this goal, to this, once I get to this place, then I'm going to be good. Once I arrive at this place, then I'm going to be happy. Once I finally get married... Once I finally find a man, once I finally find a woman, once I finally settle down, once I finally buy a house, once I finally get that job, then, then we're going to be good. Well, look at the children of Israel, where they're at. They go from slavery, and I'm sure it was a terrible situation to be slaves. And they said, you know, once we're free, right, once we're free, then we're going to be good. And six weeks later, they forget, and they're complaining and saying, we should have died. What happened? What if the season that you're in right now, think about it, right? Think about the season that you're in. Think about the thing in your life. Everybody in the room, think about the thing in your life right now that's the hardest and most difficult and most emotionally taxing thing that you're facing right now. Everybody's got something. We're all human beings. We have things that were broken. What if it was never about getting out of that season? What if it was about God trying to cleanse you in the middle of that season of the wilderness? And you look... And you look at what your identity is and you look at what you think you're supposed to arrive at. And our culture paints this picture that we have to make it somewhere before we can be content. And I think sometimes the reason that we have this perspective is because we don't truly understand what a relationship with our father looks like. 
And you might be in this room and you might have, uh, uh, you might have been brought up in a situation where you maybe never either had a father or you didn't experience uh, the father's love the way you should have. And you might be in this room and you might have had the perfect example of a father. But can I just tell you, nothing compares to the love of the father God. You, we don't understand it. Here's the crazy thing about grace. Here's the crazy thing about the Father. Is we, there is no relationship on earth that is that good, so it almost seems too good to be true. And I don't think sometimes we understand that once you're in the family of God, once you're a part of his kingdom, you are in the family of God. It's not about doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. That's kind of how I grew up, and it wasn't my mom, it wasn't my dad. It's just kind of what you're taught and what you feel. If you don't do all of these bad things, don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, don't have sex, right? That's like, that's like the, ma- the main ones, right? It, you can do all the other stuff, but as long as you don't smoke, drink, sex, or, have, or cuss, like you're good, right? You can, you can be angry, you can be jealous, you can gossip, but just don't do those bad ones, right? Like don't sleep around, and then do all these other things. Like go to church, read your Bible, pray, get in a small group, and, and so it's this list of scales. If, you're, if your good deeds outweighs your bad deeds, then you, you and God are good. If your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, then you got to come back and you got to be like, God, I'm sorry, I screwed it all up, help me out here. And I'm not going to tell you that those bad things are stuff you should do, and I'm not going to tell you that those good things are stuff you shouldn't do, but I think that we miss the point here. I have my son that's two years old, he'll be two years old on Wednesday, if, if, if he goes to try to touch the fire on, my st- on the stove in our house, I don't want him to touch the fire, not because the fire scares me or is intimidating to me, because I know that fire will potentially hurt him to the point where it jacks up his life. It, he could get burns that would really destroy his ability to move his hand from that point forward. But we do the same thing with sin, right? We think that God is mad at, at our behavior for the behavior's sake. Let me just tell you that sin was defeated on the cross once and for all 2,000 years ago. The reason God doesn't want you to do the bad things, it's not because he's mad at the bad things. He knows that when your behavior goes in a direction that's against him, that it will rob you of peace, it will rob you of purpose, and it will rob you of your destiny. You're still in the family of God when you drop the ball. I don't tell my son when he makes stupid choices, all right, you're sleeping outside tonight. You know what I'm saying? And let me, let me just tell you this. On the flip side, if I came home one day, and, and my son's not old enough to do this, but if he was, if he was 9, 10 years old, and I come home one day, and the yard is mowed, the laundry's put away, the house is cleaned, and it's like immaculate. And I said, son, what did you do that for? And he said, dad, I just wanted to make sure you and I were good. I just wanted to make sure you loved me. Wouldn't that that would break my heart. But yet, don't we do the same thing with God? Right? We think, like, man, like, I just got to stay away from the bad things in life, and I just got to do enough good things so that me and God are on a good, on a good term. And that's the, that's the context of our human relationship. It's always an exchange. You know, you, you go to work, and you do things, and then you get a paycheck for those things. But it's not the case with God. He's your father. You don't get a you don't get to just divorce having a father, right? It's the story of the prodigal son. The father who represents Father God gave him everything, all of his inheritance, and said, go, I love you enough to let you run and, and live this life, but I know you'll be back, and when you come back, I'm going to throw a party, and I'm going to love you. And I think sometimes the really awful thoughts that we have are based on our identity and our relationship to our father, 
We think that somehow, every time I make a stupid choice, somehow every time I don't make it to that place where I feel like God's called me to be, somehow every time that I don't hit the mark in my day, that there's this distance between me and my father. But can I tell you in your darkest moments, church, can I tell you in the most broken state of your emotional self that your father is closer to you than any other thing that you've ever experienced? David was called a man after God's own heart. Here's the crazy thing. David was picked to be king when he was like 15, 16 years old, a lot of Bible scholars believe. God knew ahead of time he was going to be a sex addict, an adulterer, and a murderer, and he still chose him to be king. Your sin, your behavior, your poor choices are nothing in comparison to the grace of God and what he's called you to. Does that give you an excuse, as Paul said, just to live however you want? Absolutely not. What kind of a relationship would that be where you just get to live and just be like, I'm gonna, God's going to forgive me, so I'm just going to do No, that's not a relationship. I wouldn't do that with my wife. Like, my wife is so kind and she's so good. I'm just going to live however I want. She's going to love me no matter what. That would be selfish on my part. When Jesus, when the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, they brought her out into the city streets and they were all throwing stones at her. He said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. A lot of people like taking that scripture and saying, see, he told her to stop sinning. No, sin is what brought her to that place of being naked being ashamed, being embarrassed. And he said, because I don't condemn you, you don't have to live this way anymore. You're free. You're free to live free from sin. And the holy, righteous lifestyle that God wants for you is for your peace, for your sanity, and it's to attach to your purpose. It's not that God needs you just to be righteous, just to make him happy. He's content. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any human being. He chooses to use broken people. And someone I heard one time say this, that David, 70% of the Psalms were what they call laments or complaints. And he was the guy that was the man after God's own heart. But yet we hide these corners and these places in our life and we say, God, like, like I'll let you into this place, but I'm not going to let you all the way into the brokenness and the darkness. I'm not going to let you all the way into the insecurities and the inefficiencies and the things that make me feel like icky on the inside. The dark thoughts that I might have, the lustful thoughts that I might have, the, 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 the offended thoughts that I might have. I'm not going to let you into that part. I'll show up to church. I'll serve. I'll volunteer. I'll be nice to my barista at Starbucks. But I'm not going to invite you in to the most broken part of who I am. And can I just tell you, church, that God wants in there? He's not offended or intimidated by you, by the broken things that you've done. And Satan would want you to believe that you somehow have to arrive at this place before you're good before him. Satan would want you to believe that you have to make it to this place before you before you can finally be complete and satisfied in who he is. And may I just present to you that maybe the season you're in is a training ground. Maybe the season that you're in is a pruning. Maybe the season that you're in is a process of God saying, you know what, I love you so much. I'm going to let you walk through some things. And I'm not saying God brings sickness. I'm not saying he brings hurt and pain and death on us. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that sometimes, like a good father would, he allows us to stand on our own a little bit, even when it feels like it's broken. He allows the prodigals to run a little bit because they know when they fall that Jesus is only going to look brighter when, he comes, when you come back to him. What is the thing in your life? What is, the, what is the source of the most awful thoughts that you have? Think about it. 
Think about it. What is the source of it? Do you want all of your circumstances to change and then you'll be happy? Right? If my relationship with my father was fine, then I would be good. If I could just get over, uh, uh, you know, having social anxiety in public, then I'll be happy. If I could just, if I could just get married, I think, then, I think then finally I'll be happy. Look, what is the source of it? If God gave you all of the things that you thought you wanted, would that be like your arrival point? Would that be the place where you just say, oh, cool, thank you, Lord. And now the rest is smooth sailing and it's a smooth road, and I'm just going to chill from now on. Like, what are we after? That's not what I'm after. It's a battleground. I'm going to have Will come back up as I kind of come towards the end of what I have to communicate to you today. I was working in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a place where I made ice cream. And I hated it because I felt like I was called to ministry, and I did this for five years. And my perspective was that, God, you didn't call me to make ice cream as a job. Like, this isn't what you called me to. I know I'm better than this. I'm not called to work in a factory. Maybe you work somewhere where you're embarrassed to tell people where you worked. I was embarrassed to tell people I worked at a factory making ice cream, right? I was upset about it. My perspective was continually like, I'm in limbo. This is not what you have for me. What am I doing? I'm wasting my life, even though I was providing for my family. And I remember one night I was, I was closing the place down, and I was all by myself. And I'm, I'm spraying out a tank that was full of cream, like cream, you know, we'd get it in trucks. And I have this little stream of water because it was supposed to be warm, but it was cold and I ran out of water and I'm just mad and I'm alone. And, I, and milk stinks when it gets on your skin after it dries. And I'm just like throwing a pity party for myself. And I remember God speaking to me so clearly. And he said, you are more concerned about the people in your future that you've never met than you are about the people that I put around you every single day. What if God has you in a season where he has a, a, a someone for you to impact right now? What if the reason for the source of our anxiety and the source of our really awful thoughts that we carry is not about the place that we're going to that we haven't arrived at yet? What if he wants us to stop right now in the present and look at what the opportunity is right in front of us? He has put something in your hands he has given you responsibility over somebody. He's given you influence over somebody. What if, what if what we're after is not over there? What if it's right here? God is so concerned about your future, but I would say he's even more concerned about your present. Because you don't get to your future without living in your present. And can I submit to you this morning that Jesus isn't after your perfection Jesus isn't after you figuring it all out. Jesus isn't after you having everything tied in a neat little bow and presenting to the people around you, presenting to Pastor Matt, presenting to any of the leadership team here that, you know what, I'm good enough to be a part of this family. Can I just say you're good enough in the most broken state of who you are? And I truly believe that there's people in this room today that have felt like they're not good enough, that have felt inadequate, 
that feel like you have to arrive somewhere or make it somewhere or get to some place before God can actually use you. And you're going to be in this limbo of waiting for the rest of your life if you don't just take a stand and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just invite you into the broken stuff. I'm going to invite you into everything, that my perspective in this current season of my life is more important than the position that I feel like I'm supposed to end up in. That the way I see this, and Paul, it was so beautifully written the way he said this. He's in a jail cell, not sure if he will ever get out, not sure if he will die. And he said, I counted all his loss. He said, these are light and momentary afflictions. He said, the things I look at are the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He has an eternal call on your life, City Live Church. He has an eternal plan for your life, and he's not expecting you to have it all figured out before you arrive there. And there's things that have happened, and I just get this sense in my heart that there's people in this room that some of these really awful thoughts that you've, that you've ran over and over and over again in your head was something that maybe was done to you that's not your fault. Maybe you've been uh, the recipient of abuse. Maybe you've been the recipient of manipulation. Maybe you had parents that didn't know how to treat you. Maybe you dealt with neglect, abandonment. Maybe you dealt with just, uh, just broken thing after broken thing after broken thing after broken thing, and you feel like a prisoner of your own mind, and you lay awake at night running over all the scenarios of the day, and there's this real battle of almost like a self-hatred going on in your heart because you think that you're not good enough. Can I just tell you that your father says you're qualified, you're approved, you're good enough, you're beautiful the way you are at this very moment in your life, and he's not expecting you to make it to some location or some destination or some level before he can take you in his arms. You're there now, and he wants you there now. Thanks for listening to City Lift Church's podcast. Subscribe now to get new episodes each and every week. If you live in or ever in the South Florida area, come visit us on Sundays at Northeast High School in Oakland Park. You can also visit our website at citylift.church and keep updated with us on Instagram by following us at City Lift Church.